Hello, my name is Haley, and you're listening to Straight Talk with the Doc, a podcast that talks about addiction, mental health, and treatment. I'm here with our content director, Jeff, and our medical director, Dr. Bott. How are you guys doing? Doing great, Haley. How are you guys doing? I'm doing pretty good. How, how are you doing, Dr. Bott? Yeah, it's been good. It's been quite a bit of rain here in uh, South Florida. Looking forward to it drying up a little bit. I, I understand. We got quite a bit of rain here in Central Florida as well. So today we're going to talk about a drug that pretty much everyone has heard of. It has a reputation for being very addictive and being one of those drugs that can totally take over, destroy someone's life. And that drug is methamphetamine. But not everyone understands what's really going on inside the brain of someone who's using meth. Can you break that down for us, Dr. Bot, and tell us more about the drug? Sure. Um, you know, meth, methamphetamine, it goes by a variety of names. You know, there's a lot of slang terms for multiple drugs, but meth goes by crystal or ice, crank, glass. There's so many different terms that people use depending where you're from. Um, but methamphetamine, is, it's, a real, it's a powerful stimulant, and it's, it's highly addictive. Um, due to its uh, very, very potent high that you get really quickly. And the fact that it doesn't last that long, but compared to other stimulants, it does last a little longer. Just like many other mechanisms of addiction, you know, it does attack the, the dopamine system in the brain. The dopamine system does provide that reward that um, works on uh, providing us euphoria, the, the feel-good feeling. And the faster and more dopamine that can be um, put out into your brain, into your blood bloodstream, um, creates that reward quicker. So the thing with meth is that because it is so potent in the way that not only does it release stored dopamine, it stops the reuptake of dopamine. So it's kind of like a double mechanism. So the reason why meth compared to other stimulants, even compared to cocaine, is so much more potent or stronger and lasts longer is that dual mechanism. It not only releases more dopamine, but also stops the reuptake so that dopamine sticks around longer in that nervous system transmission. This is something I've heard. I don't know if this is true, but can you become addicted after trying meth one time? Theoretically, people could become addicted um, after trying anything one time, but you know, usually there is a, a process of addiction. There's an ongoing repetitive type of once you use what type of reward somebody obtains from that usage, what type of feeling they get. Um, is it in the context of something else that, you know, requires them to get more motivated to pursue that reward again? How quickly it alters somebody's brain's neurochemistry? Um, either upregulating or downregulating the normal homeostasis in the brain. And, you know, that relationship and how fast that, that happens. So most often that doesn't happen after one time uh, with most drugs. But I guess theoretically something can make you feel great. But no, I, I wouldn't say after one hit somebody's going to become addicted um, by the pure definition of addiction. But it has a highly addictive potential. So you would definitely say then it's it's fair to say that meth is more addictive than many other substances um, that are out there that are commonly abused. Yeah, you know, if you look at the studies that are out there scientifically, yeah, meth, meth, methamphetamine ranks very high up there, like 
nicotine and heroin and opioids, um, methamphetamine is a very highly addictive stimulant medication. And do you find that people typically like abuse other substances before trying meth? Because like it's considered, you know, such a hard drug. Um, do people usually kind of work their way up? And if so, what would they use before? Well, I think in general, um, most people tend to have other drugs, excuse the phrasing, but, you know, gateway drugs. Um, I think alcohol, nicotine, cannabis are often drugs um, that are used more um, as the first line drugs that people tend to experiment with. And I think it holds true uh, for those who use methamphetamine. They are going to be using maybe alcohol or cannabis or or nicotine beforehand. Um, but, you know, their studies do show that um, about 4% of the population, I think the latest study in 2017, um, did show that about 4% of the population, um, 12 years and older, have used it. But I don't think they're saying that it's the first drug that they have used. Um, can you just touch on kind of like the signs that someone would show when they're high on meth? Like, how do they act? What are these effects? Meth is it's a pretty um, erratic drug. Initially, you know, you might have some short-term effects and some longer-term effects. But in the short term, you, you might see somebody who uses it. And as a stimulant, increasing that dopamine in that frontal lobe of the brain, it can increase your attention and give you more energy. So you might have a little bit more um, wakefulness. You might be more focused, um, feel less fatigued, um, not really need, but as a stimulant, it can, you know, reduce your appetite. And, uh, but at the same time, with that increased energy and f increased focus, you can also become irritable, uh, quicker to anger quickly. Um, you can start having um, hallucinations, paranoia, because dopamine is uh, implicated in the process of how someone develops psychosis. When we have too much dopamine flowing in our brain, in certain areas and certain tracts of the dopamine system, it can cause us to have you know, movement disorders or, or hallucinations, seeing or, or, or thinking that we're seeing things that aren't there or uh, hearing things that aren't there and feeling that people are maybe out to get us or doing something. So, you know, you could have any one of those symptoms in that spectrum from, like I said, attention all the way, increased attention and focus, um, weight loss or decreased appetite all the way to agitation, paranoia, hallucinations. And movement issues. Okay. I just I just want to you know, it's kind of a, a kind of a tangential question, but you know I know that there are a lot of ways to use meth. Like people can smoke meth, people can can shoot meth, um, you can ingest meth. Um, but and there is some there seems to be like some beliefs out there that like different methods of using it are more or less dangerous or get you you know, more or less intoxicated or more or less addictive. But I, the, the research I've seen from, you know, the medical community seems to indicate that that is not really the case. Can you, can you speak to that at all, Dr. Bot? Yeah. You know, I think it, it kind of speaks to the general sense of how a drug enters our bloodstream and how quickly it gets to the brain. So any method that, gets to the bloodstream and gets to the brain the fastest tends to have the quickest potential for onset of action for that drug. So um, injecting it and probably smoking it 
are the two fastest ways um, that, you know, methamphetamine can can hit you. So, you know, just for people who don't know, methamphetamine comes, uh, one of the reasons it's called crystals is because it comes like in rocks. And when you cut it or shave it or crush it, it kind of chips away. It looks like glass, looks like crystal. And people can heat it and then smoke that. And when you smoke something, um, it goes into our lungs. And our lungs are extremely vascular, you know, due to the, the, the way that our, um, you know, blood vessels in our lungs are set up, the, the exchange of oxygen blood um, that occurs um, from what we, when we inhale something goes into our bloodstream very quickly due to that enormous amount of surface area that uh, exists in our lungs. And then similarly, if you inject something um, in a liquefied form and, and directly into your bloodstream, it's going to get to our brain that much more faster, opposed to maybe orally, um, in, you know, ingesting something. So um, for, for most drugs, including meth, you know, smoking it and injecting it um, usually are the fastest ways to get that, uh, the, the feeling, the euphoria, the effects of the, for the, of the drug. You mentioned earlier that sometimes one of the effects is like increased anger. Is violence something that is, is something that you see in people that use meth? Yeah, I mean, you know, a lot of times, you know, with, with drugs that can, can make you paranoid, you, you can have like this duality. You, you can have where people tend to want to isolate because they're afraid, they're fearful, they're, they're hiding in their rooms or in a, in a, in a hotel or in their houses. And, and then they're, they don't encounter that many people. But at the same time, if you're paranoid or afraid or, or you perceive something as a threat, you know, you can get more... Um, you know, triggered to act out and feel like you need to retaliate if something is going to harm you. So not only that, when you have anything that dysregulates dopamine to that extreme, it can create some sort of agitation. So that paranoia mixed with agitation um, can render somebody to be more impulsive and more um, angry and labile in their mood. So yeah, we do see people act out and get aggressive but it can be secondary to either feeling a uh, perceived threat or just a, just an excessive amount of this stimulatory um, agent acting within their body. Some of the physical health problems that meth causes, you know, seem pretty scary and pretty serious. Um, you know, for example, like meth mouth. Um, can you kind of explain like why that happens and like what are some of the other physical effects that happen to the body? Yeah, methamphetamines can cause a, a lot of things. And um, you, you mentioned meth mouth. Yeah, I think that's kind of the common thing that we hear. I mean, a lot of people when, when, they're, when they're using drugs in general, and especially methamphetamine, they're not taking care of themselves. You know, when they're, when they go on binges often. And when they go on these binges and they're using drugs in this really excessive amount, they are not eating, they're not drinking, they're not brushing their teeth. And then they go on these increased cravings because it decreases their appetite, but then it has this kind of like this almost like obsessive um, craving for sweets. And so this combination of, you know, downing sodas or candy and all of these different things, and then at the same time, not taking care of that dental hygiene, um, plus smoking it can cause a lot of dry mouth and uh, problems with your, your, you know, your salivary glands. Um, that combination just 
is a, a breeding ground for bacteria and poor dentition, poor dental hygiene. So the, the dental decay um, is very rapid amongst these individuals. And, and it also is a vasoconstrictor. So less blood is, is going to this area. And so um, this whole combination can render somebody to um, have very poor dental hygiene. Um, similarly, you know, because of the, the, the mixing of foreign ingredients inside there, there's this, there's this phenomenon where, you know, people can get this sensation that there's things crawling on them. And so they start to itch and pick at their skin. And so if they are itching and, and picking and scratching in this really overzealous, um, you know, obsessive way, they, they can cause a lot of wounds to occur and the wounds don't heal. They don't take care of them. And, you know, you can see a lot of like skin scarring amongst um, these individuals also that then can be susceptible to uh, increased infections. Um, on top of that, if you're using IV stuff, you know, um, sharing of needles, you're susceptible to um, hepatitis B, C, HIV, you know, these increased risks um, are there. So there's a, there's a plethora of things that can happen to somebody who's using not just methamphetamines, but any sort of drug in, in this fashion where you start mm -hmm. to neglect yourself. Yeah, it's really a, a combination of a lot of different factors. Yep, exactly. So, Avi, we just, you know, we just talked about some of like the, the physical effects of meth use, which are, I think, kind of like culturally what meth use is most associated with. But if you are like someone who suspects that one of your loved ones is using meth or, you know, you know that one of your loved ones is using meth, what are some of the other like concerns that you would have for them? Like what, what are some of the risks that that person is, is putting themselves and others at, at risk of? It really depends on the degree. I mean, if somebody's using methamphetamines, of course we're worried about them and their addiction. And with that addiction, you know, how many of them are really taking care of themselves on a basic level? So, you know, right there, they can suffer from neglect. Um, they can suffer from, you know, uh, legal consequences of trying to pursue the drugs. But at the same time, like, as we mentioned in the previous question, you know, just the mechanism and route of how they're using it and the behaviors that go along with it. You know, there's a lot of risk-taking behaviors that go along with somebody who's using methamphetamines. And I failed to mention previously is that, you know, a lot of times because of the way meth works, you know, there's this increased uh, propensity to people use it to enhance sexual activity. So when you're using it to have sex and if having sex in an unprotected way, you know, that's another way you're, you're rendering yourself susceptible to sexually transmitted diseases. And I failed to kind of like put that in context um, previously. So, you know, but as it, I think it, it's the same for anybody who's uh, addicted to any, uh, uh, any substance, an illegal substance, a legal drug, you, you know, you worry about the, the physical harm that it causes them. Uh, the legal consequences that they can get into, and the fact that, you know, if they continue to use, they're eventually going to, you know, their life is in jeopardy, and, and, and are they ultimately going to stay alive or not? And um, that's the, the ultimate risk that somebody takes when they're using these drugs is, yeah. is death. Yeah. So what could family or friends do for someone who has a meth problem, someone that they care about, um, but that person doesn't want to stop? What can they do? You know, just like any 
addiction, I mean, this is easier said than done what I'm about to say is, you know, it's, it's getting them into treatment. Um, you know, treatment programs around the country, around the world are there that help address people who have substance use disorders. You know, there are people who um, provide interventions. There are trained individuals who are able to come and actually who use different methodologies to, to motivate somebody to get them assistance, to actually take those steps to go into treatment, because that really is the best way to help somebody get off of, uh, of an illicit substance. Because trying to talk to somebody when they're in their, the thralls of addiction or, or intoxication and withdrawing cycles, you know, logically trying to speak with them, it's, it's very difficult. It's not, nothing's going to get through. You know, they're not in their right state of mind. So having a trained professional come out and hopefully help out, that's, that's, an, that's an option. Um, some really difficult options are different states have um, court systems that are available to help the family member or loved one petition for, for an individual to have, get court mandated into a treatment center. Um, those are often difficult decisions that somebody has to make, but those are also, you know, options. But um, just those two are in general, you know, modalities that people can use to help get somebody, um, you know, to the treatment that they need. Right. Okay. You mentioned um, like someone withdrawing from meth. Can you kind of explain what's happening in the brain when somebody is withdrawing and what do they feel like? Well, they feel like crap. They feel terrible because, you know, when you're using methamphetamine, I, I mentioned earlier that, you know, this dopamine, which is this pleasure reward neurochemical in our brain, it, it's surging, it's going and it, it's there. But like anything, when, you know, your body has a, it has a balancing system, it, it has a naturally occurring balancing system. When you produce uh, something in excess that's artificially induced, like the introduction of meth, creating this artificial high of dopamine, making you feel happy and euphoric and energetic and focused and concentrated, your body tends to downregulate its own production or the receptors that would um, recognize it. So when somebody um, comes off of this stuff, the exact opposite is going to happen. They no longer have that energy. They're no longer feeling um, happy. They are irritable and depressed and fatigued. Um, they can become suicidal. So um, they often want to just sleep for days because it's such a stimulant. It keeps people up for days, you know, binging on these uh, on this drug. Um, you see this just catastrophic lack of a better word crash in these individuals where they are just down and angry and irritable and apathetic and they just want to hide and um, trying to even talk with them they can get very angry and irritable and hostile and um, you know that's the opposite of the high that's in general what a drug does for you and gets you high the withdrawal is usually the opposite of that high yeah you know i i always say for every action that a drug has your body's going to produce that equal and opposite reaction. Mm -hmm. and, um, that, and that's the irony of addiction, right? Is that when somebody's using, um, we're putting something that's so negative into our body that um, we're, we're, we're not even worrying about the consequences at the time, even as dire and as devastating as those consequences are. And that's why we look at addiction as, as, as a disease, because we're, we continue to use despite all of those significant negative mm -hmm. issues that come about in our life. And it, it's, it's very sad. Yeah. 
So when someone enters into treatment for meth, I assume the first step is like detoxing from it. We can call it, a lot of people interchange this word, detoxing, withdrawing, you know, um, withdrawing is really the, the proper word when you're coming off of a substance without having any intervention um, there. Um, there's no traditional uh, or FDA approved medications really that are out there that are mainstream that um, the scientific community has to help people come off. There are medicines that we use, but um, you know they're, they're, they're really off-label, but there are medications that we can help to pr provide comfort and support um, individuals who are coming off of um, methamphetamines. So yes, that, there is that initial withdrawal process that you see that they're coming off of um, the, meth, the letdown from methamphetamine. And that usually is the first um, process that we do see. And after they, you know, come out of that, recover from that is when the rehabilitative process starts, where they're able to, with a clearer mind, focus on the different steps. Mm -hmm. um, I, I don't want to get into those in detail because that really would entail a whole rehabilitation process. But, um, you know, that they would be more uh, able to, um, you know, engage in treatment. Okay. And um, you don't have to go into details. I know that, you know, it's different for every single person who enters into treatment, but is the type of treatment that somebody who is recovering from a meth addiction, is that different than, you know, say alcohol or something? Is it a different treatment process? You know, th there are some fundamental modalities that I think um, different classes of drugs share um, in terms of when we go as treatment providers to provide um, the help, um, we do follow similar structures. You know, it depends if you're using, you know, 12 step model or, you know, motivational enhancement therapy, it depends where that person's at and what philosophy they want to, um, go by. But, you know, initially, you know, treatment providers want to at least help that person physically feel comfortable first. So although I didn't mention any FDA approved medication, there are medications that we do use to try to help people feel comfortable first. And um, then after that, there are various forms of cognitive behavioral therapies, um, individual therapies, group therapies um, that are involved to help somebody, you know, get their life back on track. And that usually happens during the course of that treatment plan that is developed with, uh, you know, their therapist or treatment provider, uh, depending where that person seeks help. And I want to talk about relapse a little bit, you know, because it's very common when somebody is recovering from a substance use disorder. Um, is it more common for meth users to relapse compared to uh, users of other drugs? You know, th th that's a hard, you know, thing to say um, because, you know, there, there are numbers thrown out by different uh, statisticians or agencies, but, um, yeah, I think meth is, it's, it's a, it's a drug that has a high rate of relapse, um, due to the, the, the nature of its addiction and, um, how, how potent it is as a chemical. So it has a, it, it does have a high rate of relapse, unfortunately. And, um, you know, if we look at the statistics of people who go through treatment, we tend to see, you know, addiction being a, a, a disease of relapse and remission. So I think in general, people t tend to correlate um, 
once you develop that full-blown addiction, you, there are cycles that is um, kind of what's expected, you know, that somebody is going to go through a relapse. Does that mean somebody has to? No. I think, you know, we don't really have the best numbers of people who maybe have gone um, sober or have achieved recovery um, who haven't gone through treatment. But the bottom line is, you know, going through treatment, learning the tools and um, getting the help, you have a higher um, chance of getting recovery, uh, achieving, attaining recovery um, opposed to not. And uh, that, that has been demonstrated that people who do go to treatment and who stay longer in, um, in treatment and who work a program have uh, correlated positive outcomes opposed to people who just try and just stop. It's right. very difficult drug to just stop. Okay. So if somebody's listening to this right now and they have a meth problem, um, what should they do? Would you have any advice for them? You know, like a lot of times, I think many of us um, look to the internet. We do look online to to seek help. You know, regardless of it's a, if it's an addictive illness or or not, we go online to research about it. You know, and um, one good medium for those who suffer with addiction is to go to uh, addictioncenter.com and and look at the resources that are available there both informational and access to treatment centers and that's a good first step to seek the help that is um, potentially out there okay awesome is there anything that we haven't talked about that you think is important for people to know you know in the end of the day you know this it's a dangerous dangerous drug i mean we we just touching the tip of the iceberg, you know, in these uh, commentaries here. Uh, but, you know, if in the, the brief period of clear headedness, if someone can reach out and seek help from their family, loved ones, or even going, like I said, have access to a computer going online, um, you know, that's really the, the most important thing that they can do is try and get help for themselves. And even if it's not the person listening, who's the, the person addicted, um, but their family member or loved one going online and reaching out to these resources that we just mentioned, uh, addictioncenter.com, um, those are great first steps that you can take. Mm -hmm. Okay. And it's true, because I mean, there are so many resources available for people, you know, it's just you just have to access them. Um, and it's hard. It's really hard for people who are in the middle of you know, suffering from an addiction to go out and, and seek help from themselves. And that's why, you know, when we're speaking in, in, the, in this situation, we're also speaking to the family members and loved ones of those individuals suffering. Absolutely. Um, well, I, uh, I found this very interesting and I hope it gives people a better understanding of how meth actually affects a user's brain. You know, it's not a simple process of just going cold turkey and quitting. Um, so thank you for explaining that, Dr. Bot, and thank you to everyone who listened today. If you have any questions on this topic or something that we haven't talked about yet, you can submit a question or message for Dr. Bot on addictioncenter.com. So thank you again for listening, and we hope to have you next time on Straight Talk with the Doc.